Hey, this is Pastor Roy Barrett from Discover Life Church. Thank you for joining today's podcast. Now let's get ready to be transformed, have our hearts encouraged, and live the life God has created us to live. Enjoy today's teaching. Uh, I am going to be sharing a message um, that I started on Wednesday. I started the message on communion, and it came about because of, um, I guess it would be Harriet's fault. Um, uh, I was in, I came in early, and Harriet pulled me aside and said, hey, you know, uh, Norman, will you help me with, uh, help me set up for communion, I think, last month. And so I, I went and started helping her set up and everything like that, and I went in the back. And I went, when I went in the back with the kids, I asked the, uh, the staff that works, that serves them, right, hey, will the kids participate? And from me asking that question about whether or not the kids will participate in communion, it sparked this ongoing discussion. And I said, you know what, that's something that we need to talk about in the body. And so uh, I'm not going to pick up really where I left off on Wednesday. Um, what I'm going to do is really to talk about three, uh, three things that I feel that God sort of brought to my heart as it relates to communion when it comes down to approaching the table. All right. um, and, and I don't mean that literally approaching the table. Our disposition, our mindset, when we come into the house of God, right, in reference to us partaking communion, his broken body and his blood, three things that I feel that the Lord has laid on my heart that we need to address as it relates to us approaching communion. Because if we don't address those three things, we can approach this table all day. And as we'll see in Scripture, Paul says, you come together, but you never partake of the Lord's Supper. You have the wafer. And you have the juice. But we miss out on the communion and never partake of the Lord's. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. So what I'd like for you to, uh, to do, you can, you can turn. I'm not going to read all these passages, right? But we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter what? Which chapter you guys think I'm going to look at? Chapter what? 11. That's right. That's right. I heard everybody say it. Everybody say it. First, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, right? You know, that's the... That's, that's like the popular chapter that we use for communion. But then there's also 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So we're going to look at chapter 11, start at verse 20 through 34. You can write that down or type it into your tablet or your phone. Uh, and then we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, right? We're going to look at verse 20, right? And then we're also going to look at Acts uh, chapter 2, verse 46, all right, verse 46, um, or 1 Corinthians 10, 16 and 17 and 20, 16, 17 and 20. Now, I told you those because I'm not going to read all those passages, right? But you have them written down, hopefully, or typed in your thing. And so when you go back home, what should we do? Ah, that's right. The Apostle Paul says, study to show thyself what? Ah, oh, all right. Somebody's been reading their Bible, been reading their Bible. Uh, and so today I'd like for us to talk about before we come to the table, all right, giving up the routine 
and embracing the relationship that comes through communion. Giving up the routine and embracing the relationship that comes through communion. The, uh, the first thing that I'd like for us to, to talk about really is what is communion? Right? Um, communion is not the, you, this is not communion. You guys know that, right? This, yeah, yeah, this is not communion. These are, uh, these are our trays, right, with bread, and we don't use this. Now, the Catholic Church, they use wine, just in case you didn't know this, right, because I was at work. I went to take communion during a ceremony in my uniform, and after I took the, <laughs> after I took the, the, the drink, I said, oh, Lord, please don't, yeah, I hope they don't test me when I get back to work, you know, because I had no idea until after I'd already consumed about three of those cups of, no, just, I just right, I, I, after I took the one communion, I just, I had no idea that it was wine until it was actually all gone, so, but we have just juice, right, those are symbolic, right, communion is the intimate relationship right, between us and God and one another as we come together to remember, right, his victory over death and the grave, right, that's what communion is. It's us coming together to share an intimate time, right, when the presence of God as we remember Christ's victory over death and the grave, right? That's what communion is. And so if, if we don't get these three things that I am going to talk about this morning, if we don't address them, we'll keep coming up here, right? We'll just keep coming up here to the table and never partake of real communion. We'll have the wafer, saltine, ritz, unsalted, whatever we use, and we'll have the juice, but we'll miss communion. So, um, the first thing that we need to look at is, is the fact that, you know, they had an ordinance in place for the Jews, right, in order for them to remember. What was that called? The Passover, right? In order for them to remember, that's the ordinance that was put in place, right? That's what they did. They would always get together as a family unit, and when they sit down once a year, right, they sit down and they'll talk about how God brought them out, and of course the Passover is when all the plagues were being uh, put on, uh, was being put on Egypt, right, God said, look, now I'm coming to visit, but I need for you guys to put blood on the post, and when that happens, I'll pass over. That was what they did to remember. So when it was time for the, uh, for, the, for the Feast of Booth, when it was time for them to come together with Jesus during the last Passover to celebrate it, Jesus said, you know what? I've been waiting on this moment for a very, very long time. I've wanted to sit down with you and have this moment. And it was at that time that Jesus had the last Passover and instituted the first Last Supper. Right now, some people call it love feast, Right? That's when they come together because you're supposed to come together, share it over a meal, and it's supposed to be an intimate time. And that's when he instituted what we call communion. But they didn't have anything in place as it relates to 
what the churches should do when they come together for communion. So the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, he says, What the Lord has passed on to me, I now pass on to you. And he says on the night in which the Lord was betrayed. Uh, so he shared that with them, but then he shared other things about their heart, their disposition when they came together as a body. You all come in, you sit down to eat, but you never really partake of the Lord's meal because some of you all come in and you eat your own meal and then there are others who are in the body and they are still what? Hungry. Some of you come in and you're supposed to bring the wine, right, or the juice. Instead, you sit in the back before service starts and you drink it all up and now you're drunk and everybody else, everybody else is left wanting juice, and he says, you ought not to do that. And so that's how he starts his letter off, right? In this chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he starts it off correcting them, but laying a foundation as it relates to how you should approach the table. Now, before I start that, there are four truths, right? Nuggets that I actually took away from reading 1 Corinthians 11, 10, uh, Acts, and also the gospel accounts of, when, accounts of when Jesus sat down with the disciples. And I want you to write these four truths down. Uh, the first one is, is that we have to have the right motive. The right motive is required. The right motive is required. And that is, the Apostle Paul says that, look, when you guys come together, you should realize that it's not about who. Oh, I know that's hard for us to say. Right? I know it's hard for us to say. Uh, but, but he said you must have the right motive and you must understand that it's not about you. It's about who? It's about Christ and who else? And the body. But instead, you come in and you eat your own food and you leave your brothers out. You do not have the right what? Motive. But then the second one is he says that the right meal may not always be received. That's the other truth I got, is that when we come in here, don't just assume because we come up to the table that we're receiving communion, because if we do not have the right motive, then we do not consume the right meal because our hearts are not in the right place. And so Paul said when he started out, you come together and yet it is not the Lord's Supper that you partake of. And so there has to be the right motive. It says that we could come in and not receive the correct meal. And then he says that we, the right mind is mandatory. The right mind is mandatory. What, what Paul said in verse 31, he tells them in 1 Corinthians eleven thirty-one. 31, he says that you must judge who? Yourselves. You rightly judge yourselves, and then he says, I will not judge you. But because you do not rightly judge yourselves, some of you are weak, others are sick, and some even what? Some even die. Because we do not rightly judge ourselves, and so we, have, we must have the right mind. It is mandatory when we come in to approach the table. But then the last truth I got... In verse 26, it says that the right message is declared. The right message 
is declared. He says that, look, whenever you come together, as often as you all do this, you do proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. Every single time we get together as a body and we come to this table, we are declaring to those who are in the assembly, which is a mixture, just like it was in the Corinthian church, of those who believe and those who what? Do not believe. And so we're declaring before one another and before those who do not believe that Jesus is Lord, that his death was victorious and that we believe that. And so every time we come together, it's saying that we are sharing the gospel in essence through demonstration every single time we come together and break bread. Those are the four truths that I got. Right? But as we prepare to partake of the communion this morning, what is God saying through his word? What are those three things that I feel that the Lord has said to me that he would like for us to share uh, together this morning. The first one is, God wants us to consider our approach. Consider our approach. When, when we get ready to, to come to the table, he says that we must have, right, the right mindset or the right perspective relationally and spiritually. Relationally and spiritually. He, he's, he starts off, uh, he starts off here in 1 Corinthians chapter 17 and 22. He says that we must fix our attitude because he says relationally as it relates to us and others, but as it relates to us first, he says that we must deny our own sinfulness, our own sinful desires. Don't come to the table Right, when you go back and read it, he starts off at the beginning of this chapter saying, it breaks my heart that when you guys come together, you're thinking about yourself, and then you have your other brothers and sisters who are out here starving. They're hungry. Because true communion in Scripture was usually always taken, what? With a meal. Why is that? To create intimacy. It was done initially within the family nucleus. And so each family in Israel, when they sat down to celebrate the Passover, they would tell the story amongst the family, sparking that intimacy. Intimacy not just because of proximity, right? But then they also took and shared the same what? Bread. It says, took the bread and took the cup. That was hard for me when I went to that Catholic church. I had, this, I had a 9-11 ceremony that we had to do. And it was hard for me because they just they broke the bread. And I was every, all while I'm walking up there, I'm thinking about, Lord, did he wash his hands? <laughs> Other people just touched the bread. Right? Lord, help get my mind back. I'm trying to get my mind back right. And as I'm walking up, I'm still thinking, did, did they just cough over that when they... <laughs> Right. You know, okay, I know I'm the only one that thinks like that, right? I know it, I know, it, I know. And then and then and then they would take the cup, the chalice, and they would he would take it, he would give it to you, and then he had a divine cloth, right, that they got from Walmart or wherever, and they would wipe around the rim after each person would what? Would drink. And I'm like, Lord, uh, 
Uh, right? And this is as I was getting closer, right? Now, the first time, the first time I did it, I, I just, I had to press on through. I had to take one for the team. Okay. <laughs> Lord, whatever you've called clean is clean. That's what he told Peter. He said, look, don't curse that pig now that, you know, Peter had that vision. And he said, Lord, how can I take these things that are unclean? And the Lord said, you better fry that bacon up. Don't cur- Hey, don't, don't curse. What, right? So I'm sorry, because I didn't, I didn't eat this morning, so I'm just. So, um, but, but, but the second time, I thank God, right, I'm going to get back to it. The second time I went, we, because we do it every year at, this, at the same church. The second time I went, you know, if you're not a Catholic, really they don't allow you to partake of communion. Now, one of the, because I'm the director of the chaplaincy with the city of Atlanta, one of the chaplain, I mean, one of the clergy there at the Catholic Church, uh, Monsignor McNamee, he's one of our volunteer chaplains. I think that's the only reason why I got away with it the first time. The second time, they just, they stopped me. Uh, all right. Go ahead, brother. You've blessed. But I was thankful. I was like, okay, I didn't have to worry about any contamination if something happened, you know. But I say that, right, because there's intimacy that's shared between the Israelites when they do Passover. Jesus said, I've waited to do the same thing with you. And now what he does is he says, as often as you all come together, there are some things in the scripture that's descriptive. And then there's some things that are normative, right? It tells you, it just tells you what happened and it's not for us to apply, right? Those things that are normative are things that we're supposed to take to our lives and apply them, even though they were said a thousand years ago, 1,500 years ago, it's for us to take. And so when, when he said to partake of that, right, he was telling who? The church. As often as you come together, right? Because Paul wrote this letter to who? He wrote it to the church. And so they changed it now so that it's not just all of the families getting together, but it's the body of Christ that's celebrating this. Which is the reason why when we had the discussion in the back, there was some concern about, well, if the kids, if they're not saved and they're not really a part of the body of Christ, and and we were going through all that, uh, that's something, that's a whole other discussion, different discussion, right? Uh, But Jesus says for us to train up a child, what? Oh, all right. So, you know, I'm not saying that, that you should or shouldn't give it, right? There are some kids who are saved and they understand Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, but they do not have to be theologians to take communion. Okay, all right, I just want to make sure you all understand that. So, with that being said, right, he says for us to, uh, to consider our approach relationally as it relates to one another, that we are one. For ourselves, we consider our approach because we have to look at our own sinfulness and deal with that, but relationally as it relates to each other, it says that we are one because it says that, look, do you not know Right, that when you guys partake of the body that you are sharing, right, you are sharing, there's this common union with Christ, which is the spiritual part, but also we're sharing one another. Jesus prayed this for the disciples. He says, Lord, make them what? You, you can talk, y'all can, you can talk. Make them what? Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Make them one as what? As we are one. 
because he wanted us to understand what? Our union, our oneness as a body. And so that's what communion is. When we get ready to come to this table, it's not thinking about ourselves. And the question is, when we consider our approach relationally, my question this morning is, which is the reason why we didn't take communion, because I wanted to share the message, and then we'll come to the table. Who are you bringing to the table with you? People who need healing, that are sick. Are you praying? Are they on your mind when we're coming to the table? The person that's in the body who we're disconnected from, are we bringing that to the table? Restoration, restoring broken relationships, are we bringing that to the table or are we just coming uh, solo? Just... We're not thinking about our we're not thinking about our brothers and sisters. And Paul says, no, 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 it's not about you. When you come, bring someone. Maybe sometimes literally, but definitely figuratively. Bring someone in heart, in mind with you when you come to this table. Because he says, when he talks about spiritually, right, adjusting our approach. Is talking about the atonement, the substitutionary death of Christ, because he says, as often as you do this, do this what? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do it in remembrance of me. So are we remembering him and what he did, the great exchange, what he did for us when we come to the table? And if so, what are you remembering when you come? That he's a healer? Hallelujah. That, 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 that he's a way maker, that he's a deliverer, that he's able to restore my broken heart, that he did it all on Calvary. So when we come, are we remembering, God, you are able. I know I'm upset with that person, but Lord, you're able to, bring, to mend our relationship. I know my heart was broken the last time, but Lord, you're able to do it because... He said on the cross that it is what? It's finished. So all that is in the past. Lord, we know that you can do it. And so the question is, when we come, are we remembering? Or are we just like the Corinthians, he said, just stuck on you? Or is that the Band-Aid commercial? Right? You're stuck, uh, right. Just stuck on you, right? We're just, we're, it's just all about us. But my challenge is for us this morning, let's come, and when, we, when we're here, we're considering our approach as it relates relationally about us and about others, but definitely about our Lord Jesus Christ. And so I would challenge you right now, uh, just take a pencil or a pen, right, and if you do not have a physical one, right, just write it on the tablet of your mind, right? The name of that person that you know you should bring with you. That relationship that's gone unchecked, you haven't talked to them in years, and you know that you should bring it with you. So that when we partake after the message, 
as we take the bread and break it, I want us to, pro to proclaim what God has already done as it relates to that individual, as it relates to that relationship. Lord, it is restored. Lord, they are healed. Lord, that person is saved. So we're not just coming by ourselves. And so he says relationally, uh, as it relates to us, as it relates to others, he says spiritually as it relates to the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. Um, but then, number two, he, he, he moves from us dealing with that to us concentrating on our adoration. To concentrate our adoration, our worship. We're not just coming in just for the sake of coming to church. Some of us did, right? You, you all understand. It becomes routine. Sometimes we, we wake up, we get dressed, we go to work, we come home, we eat. It becomes what? Routine. And coming to church can also become what? Yeah, 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 yeah. Be honest now. Be honest. It, it can become routine. But he's saying that when we're getting ready to approach this, it's not for us to be routine. He's saying that what we have to do is to concentrate our adoration on him, on Christ alone, our worship. And you're saying, Brother Norman, where did he, where did he say that? When, when, when you look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 16 and 17, right, um, he, he talks about whether or not we're able to partake of the Lord's table and also the table of what? Of demons. Right? He says, can, 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 can you take of the Lord's cup and of the cup of demons? He says, can you partake of the bread of God and that of demons also? God forbid. And so he's telling us this. He's saying that what we need to do is we need to line up our worship on Christ alone. He's saying, stop coming to the table, right, with our divided devotion. Okay, now, Lord, you know every Saturday I go to the club because I have to get it in, right? Right? Y'all realize this. You guys know this. Okay, all right. I don't know who it is. I'm not talking about me, all right, because I can't really dance. I'm just... I'm, that's an example. <laughs> that's an example. Okay. Just, that's just for the Facebook audience, just in case they didn't know. It's not talking about me. I'm talking about Brett, right? And so, uh, no, I'm just... <laughs> right. But, but, but he's saying, look, we need to be focused in our worship to him because he's saying that you cannot continue to walk with this divided devotion with the world and then also with me. And so you have to make a decision. At some point, because if you do not, and that's where he deals with this again, he says that if you do not, then you'll force God to what? To judge you. You'll force God to judge you. And now, I, I said this before, I did say this on Wednesday, is that a lot of times we think that God's not going to do anything. Right, almost like my son. My my son is he's he's close. He's 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 right there on the line. Like, uh, daddy ain't gonna do nothing, right? You know, because because 
if, if you continue to let them go, right, after a while, you're just like, okay, man, God, he stopped spanking back in the Old Testament. What are you worrying about? They took God's belt. We're not worried. They, you know, we're not worried. God ain't spanking. He's not spanking anymore, right? Yeah, yeah. Many people believe that now because we're not seeing people drop dead like in the Old Testament, right? We're not seeing people come down with leprosy like that, right? We're not seeing those things happen. And so what we assume is, right, as the apostle Peter talked about, he said, look, man, don't, 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 don't think that God's not concerned now. Ultimately, what God is concerned more about is that none are lost, but all come into salvation. And so, so look, don't, don't count his patience as slackness as though God is not concerned. Because he still has his belt, and I don't want to feel it. Right? Right. And so we have to make sure that we focus our adoration, our worship on Christ and Christ alone. And the... Uh, After we focus our worship, and I'm going to get ready to wrap up. This is going to be my last one. Um, After we focus our worship, he says that we must address, right, or appraise our hearts. Constantly appraise our hearts, right? You know, to appraise something means to value. It means to examine it, right? He says that we must constantly appraise our hearts. And what that does is it keeps us, if he's telling us that these are things that we need to do before we come to this table, he's saying, before you come to this table, examine yourself. It keeps us on our knees to be repentant, to be broken, to be contrite, which is a heart that God, what? That he desires. But we could go from day after day, sometimes week after week, as our wonderful president says, without ever having to ask for, yeah, 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 forgiveness. But we do have to ask for forgiveness. We do have to confess our sins. Because you, you guys know what confession means? Right? Homologeo, that means to agree with to agree with God about man, humanity, our sinfulness, and about God, about who he says he is and what he's done. That's what confession is. It's that we are agreeing with God about who he says we are and who he says he is. And and Paul says that before we come to this table, these are things that we have to address. So did we repent? last night or this morning did we confess last night or this morning is there someone in the body right right here with us this morning that we know we have or they have an ought against us And yet, we're going to sweep it under the rug and try to come to the table. 
for the bread. I said I wanted us to think about the people we need to bring to the table. Right? You know, for salvation, the people we're praying for for salvation, healing. When we take the cup this morning, I want us to bring that relationship that we know is broken, that hostility, that bitterness that we have in our hearts, either towards God or towards another individual. Because we have to appraise our hearts. We have to examine ourselves before we come to this table. And so we can't come in knowing that there we have an ought against someone in the fold or even someone out there. So get that name on your heart. Write that name down. And I will even challenge us that even as we leave this place, right, to make sure, pray through it, but then try to reach out and make amends. God is able to restore. How many of you, how many of you all believe that? That God is, he's able to do that. Right? But that's what this communion is about. And so I would like for the, uh, the praise team to come up. We're, we're, we're going to, to prepare ourselves for uh, communion. I will say that there are, there, there are two other things that I, just, that I want us to say, and you all can go ahead and come up. Um, why does this matter? It matters because communion should be a time of renewal and miracles, right? I say renewal and miracles because communion is supposed to represent unity in the body, Right with each other and and with our Lord, and if miracles can't happen in an atmosphere and environment like that when we are on one accord, when can they happen? Renewal. God is going to heal. God. God is going to deliver. All of those things. That's why it matters because God wants that to happen when we come together, as opposed to approaching the table just like it's a common meal. He says. There's something different that I want to do when you guys come to the table. The takeaway for homework is I would challenge all of us to begin to celebrate communion, right? Don't stop celebrating it amongst the local congregation. But even when you get together with small groups of believers, it says as often as you come together, Right to break bread and to to have wine. I'm not telling y'all to drink wine. To drink juice whenever you come together. Right, he's saying when you do that. Right, nothing wrong with nothing wrong with drinking wine. I just all right. He says um, when you do that. Right, I just don't drink it. He said. He says when you do that. Right, right. There I am in the midst. And you should celebrate me, right? And that means that there are more times that we're remembering what Christ did, right? More often, right? It's not just once a month. He says, as often as you do it, do it in remembrance of me. So start doing it in even small nucleuses with believers, right? Because that in itself is a demonstration to the world, right? That we believe that there is a risen Christ, Right, and he shall return again. Amen? Amen. Thank you for listening. I pray you enjoyed today's teaching. Let's keep in touch by subscribing to the Discover You podcast. Be blessed.